This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. The Matt McNeil Show for your Friday. <laughs> it's Matt. Busy day today. I was trying to get my Christmas lights on, part of the Christmas lights on the house. But it, it is kind of funny because I, I, just, I was kind of doing it by myself. And this is one of those things, Patrick. Patrick here, of course. Uh, this is one of those things that now that after a year ago after the accident – I realized I probably shouldn't be doing this by myself. So I did a little bit of it and I stopped. I said, I better, I don't want this, you know, horrible tr- holiday light accident, you know, takes out Matt McNeil. I mean, I, I didn't want that headline to go out there. So, uh, so you have half the lights at my house. So there you go. Area man lives lash- <laughs> national lampoons vacation in real life. <laughs> War on Christmas begins in Minnesota. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We have got uh, a jam-packed show for you today. Levina Jadwani is going to join us. She is the adapter for the, um, the a Christmas Carol over at... Uh, Guthrie Theater, which I I went and saw. Have you seen? You, have you gotten to see that yet, or no? I haven't had the yeah. chance yet. Yeah, uh, it, 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 spectacular, just spectacular, and uh, they do it, they do it really well. I, I I can't wait to talk to her because I think this is kind of fascinating, being the adapter, kind of adapting the story to each individual time. So we'll talk to her coming up here about a half an hour from now. Patty Vasquez is going to join us. Uh, Patty Vasquez, of course, is our evening one of our evening hosts here. Big news! She is moving till nine p.m. Uh, you know, on our our schedule starting on Monday. Uh, starting Monday, Patty's going to be at nine p.m. right before Ghost Box guys come on in. So good stuff there. She'll be joining us. She's going to give me some grief because starting on Monday as well. As a matter of fact, speaking of nine o'clock hour, I'm going to be on the nine o'clock hour in Chicago on their station out there. Uh, WCPT uh, eight twenty out in Chicago. You can you can listen to uh, this hour. You'll be able to listen to the three o'clock hour at nine o'clock in Chicago, Chi Town. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So that's going to be good fun. Uh, so Patty's going to join us coming up here in the four o'clock hour. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. What was your favorite George Santos moment? New York Republican George Santos on Friday became the sixth lawmaker in the history of this country and the first member of the GOP to be expelled from the U.S. House of Representatives. The 311 to 114 bipartisan vote, which required two-thirds support, followed months of scandal that culminated in a federal criminal indictment and a damning report from the House Ethics Committee. Uh, Two Democrats voted president and 105 Republicans voted for the expulsion as well. Several Republicans said during the debate on Thursday the lies Santo was allegedly told to fundraise and get elected, as well as misuse his campaign funds, should bar him from finishing his term. 
He has manufactured his entire life to defraud the voters of his district. An honest choice of member of Congress, a New York Republican, Representative Mark Molinaro. He has lied to donors and colleagues, uh, taking advantage of the electoral election law, causing campaign funds to personally benefit himself. He has defamed not only his office, but the institution itself. I will say this. In New York, the state of New York, there is actually a great fear of the George Santos effect on the next upcoming election. They definitely wanted him gone. They did not want him running. They did not want him getting elected. And they they just they didn't want that there. Now, I'm not saying it's still I mean, this was a catastrophic failure for the screeners of the candidates. And you want to know the truth is that's one of those things which uh, I have seen happen in multiple, you know, multiple parties and, and they just don't screen their candidates. I mean, wasn't there a there was a Holocaust denier running for school board? For goodness sakes, yeah, yeah, just yeah. There, there's there's a tendency of not you know. I don't think sometimes people get screened as much as they should be uh, for for some offices there. Although that was I don't think a party uh, in a case there. I think that was an, um, a supposedly a um, non party race. But this does happen, and it does happen often. But it doesn't really happen to this level because there were clearly. Some massive red flags here that should have been put out by the Republicans themselves. Because, I mean, this, let's face it, this this didn't do them any good. I mean, sure, you won the seat on a incredibly close house. It's slightly closer today. Yeah, it's, it is it, it is kind of funny that, that this is the mess that they found themselves into. Uh, Pennsylvania Democrat Representative Susan Wild, the ranking member on the Ethics Committee, said during a floor debate that Santos should no longer hold a seat in the House of Representatives. Once the most basic obligation as members of Congress is to adhere to the principle that public office is a public trust, Wild says, as the Ethics Committee report lays out in thorough detail, Mr. Santos has repeatedly, egregiously, and brazenly violated the public's trust. The five-page resolution that expelled Santos was sponsored by Ethics Committee Chair Michael Guest, a Mississippi Republican. In addition to summarizing the panel's finding, the resolution stated that Santos must be held accountable to the highest standards of conduct in order to safeguard the public's faith in the institution. During the floor debate, Guest said that Santos had lied about his education, employment, and by Citigroup and Goldman Sachs, his religion, having employees die at the Pulse nightclub shooting – yeah, he's he's a mess. He's he's just a hot mess. Uh, while troubling, these those lies did not justify his removal from the body. Guest said, but though these and other misleading statements reflect directly on Mr. Santos's credibility, the Ethics Committee report guest said detailed more egregious issues, including that Santos spent campaign funds on personal rent, personal credit card payments, luxury good, Botox, the uh, website OnlyFans. Hello there. The report also alleges Santos made fictitious loans to his campaign account that he later paid himself back for. In addition to these questionable expenses, there were travel expenses, questionable expenses involving trips to Atlantic City, Vegas, and the Hamptons. Santos and uh, Gates uh, were also urging an expulsion. Santos, who is 35 years old, has defended himself throughout the months-long saga and held a press conference Thursday morning to rebuke efforts to remove him as a U.S. lawmaker before his criminal case goes to trial. They're trying to join me to the group of three Confederates and two people convicted in a court of law, Santos said. This just tells you how bad you were. Trust me, that's a Mississippi Republican on the head of the Ethics Committee. 
If there was ever a someone who's like, uh, we're going to turn a blind eye to that behavior. Uh, I don't think we have to be uh, holding him accountable. Oh, now, give me some grits. Now, if, if anyone was going to let you pass, it would be a Mississippi Republican. The fact that they found mountains of more stuff against you. It just it, it became comical. And, dude, you've got some serious problems, not, not only uh, in, in your possible volleyball game. But, I mean, you've got – you. I know George Santos doesn't think anything's wrong. Dude, you are a freaking train wreck. You are a train wreck. You absolutely – I mean, absolutely need counseling because this is this – is, I've seen people – we've all seen people who make up a lot of lies about their lives and try to make themselves into something special. I mean there was one guy that I, we knew that uh, um, when I was going to school who, who basically was you know, telling a lot of lies about who he was and everything like that. And it was kind of later on that we kind of figured out that this guy wasn't anything that he was saying to be. And his entire life, I mean everything he talked about. From his, <clears throat> from his family to his kids to his job to his schooling to his upbringing to his family, everything was a lie. Everything was a lie. And that dude needed some mental help because, I mean, when you, when you see someone like that, it's one thing to, you know, you know when you meet someone new, it's like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a, you know, a senior executive at this company. Well, maybe you're not a senior executive. You're just you work for a senior executive, and you might have padded your resume a little bit. And you know that people do that stuff. That's not compulsion. That's just kind of the feeling I need to basically impress someone. This is something completely different. I mean, everything about this guy was a lie. And at this point, how you? I just don't understand how you. You you basically, I mean, almost want a court order to force him into some sort of psychological help because he clearly needs it. Um, and yeah, by the way, you know, interesting, you are in the same group as Confederates who were thrown out of the U.S. House. During floor debate, Santos criticized guests for including a reference to sexual misconduct in the resolution the House voted on, even though the Ethics Committee didn't conclude that Santos had participated in such behavior. I'm you get to a point, man, where it's just there are so many buckets. Don't get upset with other people that they're they're filling more and more up. I'm guilty of sexual harassment claim or am I not? The report says I'm not. It is filing on the expulsion says I am. That's a very serious allegation, one that I sought to see the end of the Office of Congressional Ethics. The rest of me, I'm a I'm a, tr- a dumpster fire on the rest of it. But that hey, hold on, buddy. The Office of Congressional Ethics, Santos said, sent a referral to the investigative subcommittee saying that they did not suggest further investigation in the matter because it lacked credibility. Yet it sits on their expulsion resolution, Santos said. I call that hypocrisy, more lying, more swamp behavior from this body, dude. Your swamp thing, okay? (laughs) It's, it's, yeah, you're you're the DC character, man, out in the swamp. That, you are as swampy as they get. You are you are uh, you are as funny as an eight-legged mule. Um, Republican, Florida Republican, and buddy Representative Matt Gates said during the floor debate that if Santos is convicted during an upcoming trial, the House should expel him, but urged his colleagues not to take that step before then. I rise not to defend George Santos, whoever he is. 
<laughs> these, these are the people speaking on your behalf. I rise not to defend this piece of trash, whoever he is, but to defend the very precedent that my colleagues are willing here to shatter. Gates, Gates expressed frustration that the House had not taken the vote to expel New York Democrat Representative Jamal Bowman after he pleaded guilty to pulling a fire alarm in the House building. Gates also criticized the Senate for not voting to expel New Jersey Democrat Bob Menendez, who was indicted in September on several charges, including conspiracy to commit bribery. Menendez received a superseding indictment in October that charged him with numerous other crimes, including acting as an unregistered foreign agent. Whatever Mr. Santos did it with Botox or OnlyFans is far less concerning to me than indictment against Senator Menendez. Well, Gates, I don't know if you understand. You're in the house, you moron. God, with a forehead that big, you'd think you got a brain in there. But nope, not at all. You know, like Frankenstein, man. <laughs> a lot of head up there, but it's got it's got echo chambers. Um, <laughs> you're not in the Senate. You can't look at say, why aren't we holding the House to the Senate rules? Those are two different bodies, dude. Anyway. Uh, he was referring to allegations that Santos used campaign funds to purchase cosmetic procedures and a subscription to a website that is predominantly known for pornography and other types of sex work. Once again, I do have an OnlyFans page. I do. You can find it if you can find it. Uh, yeah, baby. I, I did it in a lark. It's not it, – it, it's tasteful. It's tasteful, okay? It's art. Come on. Back off. If you can find it, good luck with it. Uh, so there you go. Maybe maybe he was trying to find it. Maybe you see, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe that's what the mistake is. Maybe I made the mistake by starting my own OnlyFans page. Representative Santos. I mean, he just had to see the 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 the, the, the you know choice prime that is Matt McNeil. That's uh, that's uh, it's on me. My bad. The expulsion means that residents of New York's 3rd District will vote in a special election within the next few months to fill the seat that has swung between Democrats and Republicans over the years. The district covers parts of Long Island, including the northeastern section of Queens and much of Nassau County. Santos won election his first term in November 2022 when he garnered about 20,000 more votes than his Democratic opponent. The district has been represented by Democratic lawmakers for the prior decade, though. The residents were represented by Republican from 93 to 2013, although the shape of the district has changed somewhat over the years. The election could further narrow Republicans' majority in the House, making it even more difficult for GOP leaders to pass partisan legislation. The balance of power in the House changed 221 to 213 following the expulsion vote, with Republicans now just three more seats than required to pass legislation. So this is not going to get any easier for them. A small local newspaper on Long Island known as the North Shore Leader was the first news organization to raise questions about Santos's resume and claims he was making on the campaign trail. The paper published a story before the November 2022 election noting that Santos's personal financial disclosure report said he was worth about $11 million. Excuse me, million dollars. While the paperwork he filed two years earlier during another end run for office, he didn't have any assets more than 5000 Well, that's a, that's a quality rate of return on investment right there. The story also noted that Santos had previously reported $600,000 in loans to his own campaign in reports to the Federal Election Commission, although he didn't include that in his personal finance disclosure, uh, disclosure report. The article never gained much attention in national publications, but questions about Santos – by the way, and you've got to remember this you – know, let's go to what Stein says – 
all politics is local. How does the local GOP office not see this story and immediately pull him aside and said, okay, what's the story here? They didn't. They didn't. They just said, okay, he's, it looks like he's going to win. Will he try to run for his open seat? Could he run for his open seat as an independent? I don't know. They'd probably throw him out again because he still is going to be indicted. I think he's going to go to trial. Numerous other organizations then began looking to Santos and published dozens of stories questioning claims he made during the campaign after winning election. Let's tell you what. Let's take a break. Come on back. More on Georgie Boy going bye-bye as well as also Lavina Jadwani is going to be joining us talking about adapting A Christmas Carol for the Guthrie stage. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Yeah, man. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Well, that press coverage garnered attention by the federal prosecutors as well as congressional investigators. In May, the U.S. Justice Department indicted Santos on 13 criminal charges, including wire fraud, money laundering, theft in public funds, and making material false statements to the House of Representatives. U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York, uh, Breon Peace, said at the time the indictment charged Santos with relying on repeated dishonesty and deception to ascend to the halls of Congress and enrich himself. Uh, if you are wondering here, here is the history of expulsions. Um, Congress has granted the ability to punish its members for disorderly behavior with the con- concurrence of two-thirds expel a member. The U.S. House has used its authority before Friday to expel five members while the Senate has removed 15 lawmakers. Three of the House members previously expelled, John B. Clark, John W. Reed of Missouri, and Henry C. Burnett of Kentucky, were all kicked out because of disloyalty to the Union in 1861 amid the Civil War. They basically said, we're going to join the Confederacy. Well, they basically were all thrown out. And by the way, a quick reminder here is everyone says, oh, these are all Democrats. Those Democrats from the 1860s, those are all – those were the Dixiecrats. They all became Republicans in 1960. So 100 years later, they all transferred over to the Republican Party, and that's where that part of the wing of politics has been firmly ensconced ever since. In 1980, House lawmakers expelled Michael Myers, not that one, not the one that, uh, that uh, was tormenting Jamie Lee Curtis in all those movies. No, this was the, a different dude from Pennsylvania. Uh, although, I mean, if they're representative Michael Myers, uh, you know, that, that, if it was that guy, I mean, that's a clear expulsion, really, isn't it? I mean, but can you really get rid of him? Okay. Uh, the other Michael Myers. Uh, of Pennsylvania for bribery, conspiracy, and travel uh, act violations in 2002. And Stein mentioned this on Wednesday. Trafficking. God, that guy had the worst hair. He, he, that that toupee he was wearing was just that was a that was a drowned badger. I mean, that was not a good look. Uh, senators voted to expel 14 lawmakers, turn conf- Confederates between 61 and 62 for disloyalty. The other senator expelled was William Blount of Tennessee. Removed from Congress in 1797 for disloyalty to the United States. That's interesting. I should maybe should read up on that one a little bit. Blount, who was experiencing serious financial difficulties, had concocted a scheme for uh, Native Americans and frontiersmen to attack Spanish, Florida, and Louisiana in order to transfer those territories to Great Britain. Yeah, that's, that will do it. You know, if you're going to do it, that's, that's going to get you into trouble. Unfortunately uh, for the senator, the letter in which Blount thinly disguised his desire to arouse the, the Native Americans to aid his plan fell into the hands of the Federalist President John Adams. And Adams, he had some issues. 
Three Minnesota U.S. House members voted no on the measure to expel him. That's right. Three of these clowns said, you know what? We like the cut of his jib. And don't you dare say, no, we were just waiting for the trial. You all demanded Al Franken resign without any investigation, without any trial, without any indictments, that for the integrity for the state and the country, he had to resign. And now you got a guy who clearly is far worse than anything that Al Franken was. And you basically are like, oh, but, you know, let's keep him around. Republican U.S. Representative Tom Emmer, Michelle Fishbach, and and, and who is the guy? Opie down in one? Uh, is it uh, uh, Opie? Uh, Finstad. Finstad. <laughs> so memorable. He was voted down. Uh, they voted down the historic resolution to expel Santos, which passed 311 to 114 on Friday. But in, in a sign that Stauber is very concerned about holding his seat, do not deny that that is a political vote. Pete Stauber joined the Democrats. Uh, Angie Craig, Betty McCollum, and Ilhan Omar to expel him. Dean Phillips apparently couldn't be bothered to be at his House rep job because he's in the middle of losing the Democratic nomination for president. I don't know what you're doing, dude. I have no idea what you're doing. But fine. He's running for president. He wasn't there. I'm sorry. You should have made time for that one. But Pete Stauber. That, that if there was ever a sign that he needs to make it look like, hey, you know, abortion could take me out in this district. So I got to make it look like I'm really a moderate. I'm really a middle of the road kind of guy. <laughs> He's as far right. This is all dog and pony show. This is well calculated. Oh, I can get rid of him because enough other people. If I vote to keep him, he's still gone. So I might as well vote to get rid of him and not be on the other side of this and say, see, I worked with the other people to hold someone in my party accountable. It was all political. He is terrified, terrified of the upcoming election. Santos failed to survive his third expulsion vote after the U.S. House House Ethics Committee found evidence that he broke federal laws. Can't find funds for extravagant purchases. And once again, that OnlyFans thing. House Speaker Mike Johnson voted down the resolution to expel Santos. Emmer, who is in the House leadership as a majority whip, joined leadership in his vote. Fishbach, early this month, unsuccessfully ran to succeed Johnson in his previous leadership role as vice chair of the House Republican Conference. Finstead is thought to be close to Emmer. <laughs> okay, so I, I, I need a little more elaboration on that. Is, is, is this like unrequited love? Uh, is it Batman and Robin? Only the lamest version of Batman and Robin that's ever existed. Um, is it like you know, you know, a, a, a vestigial limb? I mean, what, what, how is he close to Emmer? How is Opie down there? I, and by the way, I don't know if necessarily if you are running the DFL for God's sakes, DFL. If you are. If you are uh, getting ready here, Finstead, you should tie him to George Santos because even Republicans don't like George Santos. And he just voted to keep him in the House. And if he has to get into the point where, let me explain why I didn't really want to get rid of him at that point, but would have gotten rid of him in another point of it. You know, I was really a for him. I was, no, 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 no. You should be hammering Finstead on that vote starting today. 
because it's going to be that's not going to be an easy one. He's already Mr. you know, you know, you know, no abortion. I think it wasn't he he was I think he's trying to temper his stance, but I, I remember initially when he was running for the house uh primary there it was you know, uh, never 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 never, wasn't it? I thought that was the case. And now all of a sudden it's hey, where did you get the idea I'm an extremist when it comes to abortion issues? But it's the fact that he is he is he's there to back up George Santos. Yeah, I would I would be hammering on him. As a matter of fact, I think that this is such a bad vote. I'd be hammering on Fishbach because although you might not be able to knock Fishbach out of seven, you could actually make a lot of races in seven a lot closer with this this vote to to keep Santos in the house. You could end up there might not be a lot, but if you flip two or three of those seats. Either house seat, you know, the house seats, in, or one of those house seats in the upcoming election. If you were able to do that, well, I I would go after Fishbach too. So, and like I said, Stauber Stauber sees the sees the 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 cab coming down the street with his doors wide open there. So he's, I'm really a moderate. <laughs> sure you are there, Stubby. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Let's take a break. When we come on back, Lavina Jadwani is going to join us. Uh, she was the adapter for A Christmas Carol. It's currently over the Guthrie plan over there all the way through December. We'll talk to her about that when we do come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. I talked about it a few times, A Christmas Carol over at the Guthrie. I mean, it's one of those things that we do here in the Twin Cities that is just, it's, it makes it feel better. It makes it feel like it's the holidays. It is a wonderful present. It's like a, such a great story. It is just a, such a great story. And, uh, it is, it's one of those great things they put on every year at the Guthrie. It is currently over there until December 30th. Go get tickets. It is very much worth it. The whole family will enjoy it. The, the ghost of Christmas yet to, yet to come is amazing. Uh, you need to go see that. Joining us right now is the adapter for uh, the the production, Lavina Jawadi is going to kind enough to join us here to talk about adapting this this classic Dickens tale for the stage and working with the Guthrie crew. Uh, Lavina, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's a very meaningful production to me. It's one I love talking about, and uh, yeah, as you said, it's a it's a wonderful story. Now, it, it should be noted, we'll get to the adapting part here, but I was looking a little bit back in your history. You have done a lot of different things. I mean, you've, you've directed, you've you've worked in the theater for a long time, and a lot of awards, and it's, it's once again, I guess the, the quality of the Guthrie, they bring in these you know award winners that are here, but you've worked in a lot of uh, realms and a lot of different hats when, when it comes to theater. Yes, my um, my good friend uh, Jack Ruler, who uh, founded Mixed Blood Theater, likes to say that I am uh, both the great generalist and specialist of the American theater. But yes, I've done a lot of things, including work in the box office. That's important work too. Oh, you're you're like a radio station. I vacuumed it. it it's 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 always spotless when I get done here. Uh, no, you, you got yeah. it. But it's one of those things where I think it gives you a great redemption. But let's talk about the role of the adapter. I mean. It, I mean, obviously, we're talking one of the, the all-time classics. It's how many how many movie versions there have been. It's actually one of the oldest movies that was ever made was was A Christmas Carol. Uh, it's been done in theater. It's been done 
musical version. It's been done on television. It's done in movies. You know, talk about it. How? What is the, the the exact role of the adapter? Yeah, um, the role of the adapter, to my mind, is you know choreographing the way the language of Dickens is going to live on the stage. And uh, you know, to your point, that that uh, can and has looked like many things. Um, the Guthrie had a, a, a fun fact on the Instagram recently um, that I think it was something to the effect of within eight days of, of Dickens publishing this thing, it was on the stage. And, um, you know, uh, Joe Hodge, the artistic director and the director of this production, and I are both um, people who share a great love for language. You know, mm-hmm. um, we'll be working together on, uh, I'll be his associate director on several uh, Shakespeare history plays that are happening in the spring. Um, and, and I think both the, those productions as well as this one, they really want to honor some great text. I mean, you know, Marley was dead to begin with is a, is a banger of an opening line mm-hmm. all the way through to God bless us. Everyone is a story that uh, is it, sort of an anthem that I find myself coming back to uh, every holiday season, but also, you know, uh, mankind was my business. Um, yeah. uh, there's so much great language in this play, and that was something that I was interested in when I started working on this adaptation, not knowing that the Guthrie was looking for a new one, just uh, truly moved by the story. And having grown up seeing uh, uh, many productions in Chicago, found mm-hmm. myself eager to make one of my own, and, and lucky me that Joe and the Guthrie had uh, a very similar vision and aesthetic in mind, one of them being, you know, it's a heightened language piece. And I think another being this, this is a ghost story. Yeah. Um, and, and as you mentioned, there's some really stunning ghosts in this production. It's a really an imaginative design team working on this show. Yeah, no, all three of them, Ghost of Christmas Past, Ghost of Christmas Prison, Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come are all spectacular. Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. That, I, I mean, when I'm looking at it, it's on a stage in front of me and I'm looking at it and it takes me about about five minutes to figure out, oh, that's how they're doing it. <laughs> that, 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 that's pretty impressive. Uh, you, it's, there's something you just said here that I want to go back to, if you don't mind. So you yourself, were you just, just fascinated with this tale and you said, you know what, I want to take a, a hack at it? You know, Talk a little bit about that. You, before the Guthrie called you, you were already working on this. Is it just, are you a fan of, of I mean, obviously it sounds like you're a fan of older literature, older plays. Is that just something that you do on your own time? Yeah, uh, you know, I'll say that my interest in adaptation came uh, working on Shakespeare, you know, when mm-hmm. I get hired to direct a Shakespeare play like I was by the Guthrie in the 1819 season. I did As You Like It. Um, uh, you know, one of the tasks is to, of course, figure out how you're going to adapt that play for the stage. It's rare that we do these Shakespeare plays, you know, uncut. And even then, you're, you're having to decide, okay, which characters, you know, you have the in the budget, they tell you you have, you know, certain number of actors, and then you have to figure out, okay, who's going to play how many different roles and how are they going to double up and whatnot. And so for me, that, that muscle developed there. Um, and I do, this is uh, <laughs> something that Joe says as well. Um, uh, Joe Hodge, you know, we both like to say, well, I have a great history of collaborating with dead writers. Um, <laughs> you know, but there is something for me about... <laughs> You know, these works that are in public domain, um, I've adapted Agatha Christie and Jane Austen as well. Um, I've tackled things, um, uh, Hindu epics like the Ramayana. Um, and uh, there is something for me that's really interesting about 
um, you know, when I'm when I'm directing a Shakespeare play, I'll, I'll often find myself saying, "Well, yeah, the 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 rights are free, but the cost <laughs> of doing business is we have to wrestle with the language, right? We yeah. have to we have to figure out how it's going to land in a contemporary audience's ear." And um, you know, uh, Joe in 2020 had directed a film version of A Christmas Carol that was based on now Dickens had a had adapted himself about a 90-minute reader's theater version that, that he himself would perform on, like, a speaking tour throughout yeah. um, the U.S. and the U.K. And and so the film version that Joe had made in 2020 that perhaps some, some Guthrie audiences saw, I got to see, um, was based off of that version, um, which, again, I think has the heightened text very much at the focus of it and really wanted to lean into the narration and the ghost story, and that is something that, you know, this production also wants to lean into as well, is this, you know, Marley is dead to begin with, mm-hmm. um, in our version, is Clarence is a beautiful prologue because, you know, that's a story that, uh, uh, A Christmas Carol is a story that, that does say once upon a time, but it doesn't say that until a few pages into it, right? Mm-hmm. So there is sort of a theatrical prologue in the writing itself that was one of the many things we wanted to celebrate in this production. Lavina Jawadi is uh, joining us right now. She's the adapter for The Christmas Carol over at the Guthrie right now. So you, you obviously, if, if you've done Shakespeare, I mean, Shakespeare in English is, I mean, Dickens wasn't that long ago, really. I mean, it was, you know, you know, you yeah. know, hundred, you know, you know, a little more than 160, 170 years ago. You know, it was this. It, the English wasn't, I mean, it was it easier as a person that's done Shakespearean. I got to imagine going back and trying to find the intent of the word of a Shakespearean play versus a Dickens play. Dickens would be easier. Is that the case or no? Um, I think it's different. <laughs> it's just different. Um, you know, the Shakespeare, sure, uh, to your point, I think we're further away from some of the words, but um, it's it's more inherently theatrical. Um, whereas the Dickens, uh, you know, I think any, any adaptation of A Christmas Carol does have to, um, wrestle with how do you, how do you theatricalize the, the narrative voice of Dickens if you're interested in that, yeah. right? There isn't as much dialogue in, in this novella as say there is in a Shakespeare play, right? So you yeah. just have to figure out, um, as I said, in our production, there's sort of an ensemble feel the narration in some productions there is uh, a single narrator um some productions don't have any of that um for me in our version if you if you look at the script itself it was important for me to have some of that dickens narrative voice both in in the mouths of actors in the ensemble um as well as in the stage direction for designers to look at because um you know, as you point out, I have done many things yeah. in, the, uh, in the American theater, and uh, my undergraduate degree is in scenic design, so I always try to try to write things on the page that will not only be friendly for actors and directors, but also for designers to pick up on. And uh, again, as you say, there's some really stunning design work in the oh, production, yeah. including the costumes. Unbelievable. The, the, it was amazing. When you go in to see it, before the plays even started, you see the backdrop. It is an amazing piece of 3D art that is not 3D, but it is whoever designed that and did that is just exceptional. I mean, it's 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 really well done. So you you you're adapting this play. Um, talk about how when when you got to approach this, were there things that you say? You know what? I don't really see too many productions bringing this element up or you know interpreting it like this. 
was there certain things that you saw in the production that you said, you know what, this needs to be more significant, this needs to be less significant comparatively to the what thousands of versions of this that have been done? Yeah, there's um, there's a moment for me that um, uh, I haven't seen in many productions, um, but that uh, for me in in Dickens' story in in Save Three, as they call it, so that's where with the ghost uh, or the, the spirit of uh, Christmas present, um, you know, in between visiting the Cratchit uh, Christmas dinner and. Um, Scrooge's nephew's Fred's Christmas dinner. There's a moment where uh, Scrooge and the spirit they they travel uh, literally across the sea and they they uh, they pass on uh, in the text. There's a lighthouse worker. I think there's some people working in mines. And then in our version, there's a, a moment where they pass by some sailors, but they they pass by people who are away from home on Christmas. They're away from their family um, because they're working, but they're still keeping the spirit of Christmas in their hearts. And, you know, for me, I started writing this play, I think it was in 2017, when the Guthrie called me and said, hey, can we take a look at that script? I remember I had just moved. I had to, like, get a get a laptop out of, out of storage. And so I was very much revisiting this text in the peak of the pandemic and I came across this moment with these sailors and I just thought, well, these are essential workers. Yeah. Um, and so we must include, you know, this moment amidst, you know, in between the Cratchits and Freds. And I love the way that um, Joe has staged it and our, our music director uh, and composer have really uplifted it. It really does sort of feel like an 11 o'clock number. Um, and it's, it's one of my favorite moments in the play. It is. It, that, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That was one of the two scenes that I wanted to talk to you about because that I've never seen that scene portrayed in any movie. I've not. I, I've I've not seen it. I don't think in any of the movie uh, the movie or the the, the uh, theater productions I've seen. I've never seen that one before. And my wife and I were talking after we saw the play, and we just sort of said, you know, what a nice touch because it does put it in perspective as far as the holiday. The concept of yeah, yeah, you're right. It's there. There are a lot of people who are working, and they're still grateful it's Christmas. And you know, it's it's a good lesson that Scrooge gets there. But it is kind of one of those that elements that is overlooked when it comes to most of the productions that are put out there. Yeah, and I think you know, uh, uh, listen. One of the things I love about this novella and our production is there is there is action rolling all the way through the end of the story, including uh, all the way until Scrooge gives. Cratchit or raise because I think one of the many things we learned on this journey is is what it means to be a, a generous employer um, and how we can truly uh, learn to share and provide for those with less needs. There's another scene which I'm glad your version had in it, and it's in the third act with the or the the it's in the ghost of the Christmas yet to come, and it's something yeah. that is it's a scene that I I mean it's I've seen it before. Although I have to admit, I probably haven't seen it in 20 to 30 years prior to your production. And that's the scene of the people going to basically the, 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 the pawn shop, you know, with what they have found yeah. and saying, and it's, and it's, I, I've always enjoyed that because if it, if nothing puts things into how lowly society thinks of you, it really does yeah. put it in there that no one cares at all about you in any way, shape, or form, and I think that it's it's an important 
point to you know because like as the journey for for Scrooge goes. It, it's kind of important to put it in that perspective that no one – I mean the, you're, even the last bit of dignity you have is going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I really love um, – I, I love the scene too. I was really happy to include it. And, you know, when I when I first wrote this scene, I never – I never – listen, I never dreamt that the Guthrie might pick it up much less that uh, Matt Fuller – would be playing old Joe, who's yeah. so lovely in the role, who, of course, you know, has, has played uh, Scrooge at the Guthrie in the past and yeah. also was in uh, the production of As You Like It that I directed. And so that was uh, very meaningful to me, too. Um, it, it is spectacular. It is, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it it does put you in that holiday mood. And it's got to be fun to work on something like this because, I mean, you've worked on a, a, a lot of different productions and Shakespeare gets a certain mindset and a certain mood with the audience. But Christmas Carol, you can't deny it indeed just it's it's kind of it has its place. And it and to a point, probably the Nutcracker and Christmas Carol are probably the two most prominent holiday based presentations you can make. And you've done a magnificent job with it. Oh well, thank you so much. It's uh, as I said, it's a real, it's a real privilege to work on the story, and uh, it, it is. It really is a dream come true to be doing it at the Guthrie. And it is running until I mean, it goes past Christmas. Even goes uh, goes to December thirtieth. It's yeah. running this entire month on the the World Thrust Age. Go see it. It is fantastic. Uh, Lavina, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time. I appreciate you sharing some of the inside theater stuff here. I I, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us today. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Lavina Jedwani is, uh, once again, the adapter for A Christmas Carol over at the Guthrie Theater. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Feel boy, baby, do a leap and make them dance when it come on. Everybody looking for a dance, throw the run on. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, uh, Matthew Saldivar is Scrooge, by the way, in this production. Fantastic. Uh, Kurt Kwan, the ghost of Christmas past. I mean, the, 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 when she described, when Lavina talked about how good the ghosts look, she does not, that is not a joke. That is, they look fantastic. Uh, Greta Oglesby is the ghost of Christmas present. She's fantastic as well in that. Uh, and then it, uh, Andy Fry, although you won't recognize Andy Fry in any capacity as the ghost of Christmas yet to come, uh, is fantastic there as well. I also want to give a shout out, if I can, to Eric Sharp, who was there. He played Fred, uh, the nephew. And, uh, it, 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 I, I get it. We all have seen it. We all know it. But the reality is, is I'm going to encourage you to go see this, even if you have seen it, because there are some scenes in this which, well, first of all, I mean, going with the, the book versus the kind of the musical number or some kind of the, a lot of the more modern versions of it, um, the, I, I think that it's, it's important that, you know, you, you, I, I point out there are a lot of scenes here which are similar, but then they're very different and they have a very different tone. And they have a different in a different presentation here. The cast is huge, by the way. The cast is huge, and um, the sets are all well done. The way that they convey some of the things, especially some of the scenes with the Ghost of Christmas Past, is, is quite good. Um, but you know, you know, you've just—it's it, worth it. I mean, and I want to give. You, by the way, once again, at the Guthrie, going until the 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 thirtieth. Uh, 
Um, they're not paying me. It's just it's it's that good. It's it's so seeing. It's, it's so worth seeing. But I, I say this too because it might not exactly be the most Christmassy Christmas we have. In case you missed it, we we've we've had just a little bit of snow so far. There's a very legit chance we're not going to have any snow on the ground at Christmas. Next week, it's going to be up in the 50s, and especially for the month of December, apparently every model for Minnesota is showing us way above average as far as temperature goes. Have they called – by the way, they haven't called Lake Minnetonka freeze over yet, have they? That's not good. You're not going to have Lake Minnetonka freeze over until – I'm going to guess halfway through January? Maybe if it if it if it does what they say it's going to do. Uh, Axios had a story on that. The warm and dry November weather is going to spill into December. A chance of a white Christmas is in question. So just 0.04 inches of precipitation fell in the Twin Cities in November, making it the second driest November on record. The monthly liquid precipitation total inches just about half an inch of snow, which is very little in the way of water. But the ground's all frozen now, so that's pretty much the end. I mean, I, I've, I've Sven had a thing on Bring Me the News about that how. Now that we're in December, technically the drought is is not considered. You're not going to see any more drought monitoring because the ground's frozen. So uh, November is one of the one Twin Cities' fastest warming months over the past 30 years. Uh, published, uh, this is new climate normals. Uh, once again, I believe this is the 15th warmest November we had on record, 15th. It was the fourth warmest fall on record and all five of the fourth uh, of, of the warmest falls have happened since 2015. So, yeah, but no, it, there's no such thing as climate change. The same guys that are screaming that are going to be the same ones saying, the snowmobile dealer is going out of business. We need to help him out. Well, maybe you should have done something before you. Maybe you shouldn't be cheering on the demise of the entire winter industry in this state. Uh, the National Weather Service says it's likely to be a warmer winter than normal due to El Nino. And that's particularly why the chances for snow on the ground before Christmas don't look great. For the next week, forecasts call for highs in the upper 30s, low 40s. Temperatures dropping to the 20s at night. Plus, there's only a chance of minor precipitation. There was some storms that are coming through. Iowa and Kansas are getting hammered. <laughs> bon voyage. Good luck with all that. Yeah, uh, Kansas has already got snow on the ground, a large swath. Iowa is – there's like three storms coming through. They're all going to hit southern Iowa too. Yeah. So um, the, the overnight snow won't be – it won't likely enough to withstand melting in the warmer daytime temperatures. A white Christmas when there's at least an inch of snow on the ground happens 71% of the time in the Twin Cities according to state records dating back 123 years. My, ge- my guess is going to be that most of those are that, that don't have snow on the ground have been in the last 30 years. I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark. I'll take a look at tell you what. I'll take a look at that during the break here at the top of the hour and and, and do that. So uh, at least it's still pretty good weather for, you know, hanging holiday lights. All right. Well, I guess so. I mean, hey, I, I was out trying to do a little bit of that myself today. So you're, you're, you know, if you're like me and you like to keep your holidays separate, that you don't like your, your Christmas bleeding into your Halloween. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that. As fans of this show know that. I, I like my Thanksgiving. I like my Halloween. I like my Christmas. It, it, it was nice to go see A Christmas Carol because that kind of gets you instantaneously into the holidays. And we forget. It is, a for a lot of people, an insanely busy time of year. I am no exception. 
running around getting gifts, getting photos of the kids, getting things in the mail, getting Christmas cards. I still I'm I am a grandpa, I guess, apparently, because I still send out Christmas cards. Uh, so I, we, we, we've got all this stuff that we're doing. It's nice to take a break for a few hours and go out and enjoy something like the Christmas Carol at uh, Christmas Carol, because it is. Yeah, it's if, especially if we're not going to have any snow on the ground. You got to get yourself in that mindset any way you possibly can. Patty Vasquez, of course, our uh, nighttime host, moving till 9 p.m. starting on Monday. We're going to be chatting with her when we come back from the break. Hour two of the Matt McNeil Show. That's coming up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Friday. Good to be with you. Matt Patrick here, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. You've, you've heard me talk about how I have been here now almost 14 years, and we have never had a more powerful lineup of hosts on this station in my entire existence. It is absolutely sensational. From Santita Jackson in the morning running all the way into the evening hours, it is great. One of our evening hosts is Patty Vasquez out of uh, WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk. She's kind enough to join us today. And with big news, because we're moving your show, your show is now going to be at 9 o'clock weeknights right here on AM 950. So I'm very happy. to. to <laughs> it's great because we're going to have you between Rick and, and the Ghost Box Radio guys. So you're going to be before they start looking for the Bigfoots and the Sasquatches and the aliens. So that's that's that, that's that's, that's good. <laughs> Well, I was so excited to do Ghost Box a couple months ago because uh, I, I, I'm fascinated by the supernatural and ghost stories. I love all that stuff. Oh, I just... I, I so mean, I'm excited. Thank you. I have Greg on the air. Greg has to set me straight half the time. <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> so are you sure it wasn't, I don't know, another animal in the wild? You know, I'm kind of one of those jerks. <laughs> sure. Hey, that's healthy, too. I have a great friend uh, who's a regular on my show, Adam Adam Selzer, who he does ghost tours, but it's more from the... Sort of idea of doing um, doing like history aspects to it. Like he'll do cemetery tours, but mm-hmm. he, actually he's on Netflix right now no. on how to be a mob boss. Have you seen this documentary? <laughs> they got all these talking heads. No, it's amazing. So he does a whole El Capone segment. So he does a lot of like this really fascinating history of Chicago, but through the guise of like here's what's supposed to be haunted, and here are these creepy cemeteries. Well, okay. So it's really fun. I just talked to the Guthrie Theater. Anyway. I just talked to the Guthrie Theater up here. They got the Christmas Carol going on, a Christmas Carol over there. Uh-huh. What is in Chicago? What are some of the okay? Every holiday season, you have to do blank. What is it in Chicago? In Chicago, yeah. uh, the Lincoln Park Zoo lights oh. are amazing. <laughs> it, it, the that's the the thing I have to do every year. And well, actually, I've got a few. The Museum of Science and Industry has like Christmas trees decorated from around the world. Oh, uh, to toss up between those two. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, that's that sounds nice. I mean, uh, it, it it's nice. I like. I, I've lived in rural America. I've lived out there, and there's a lot of fun out there. But when you get into a major city, some of these cities are just fantastic on the holidays because they're just it is bright, it's shiny, and let's face it, it's dark out right now. The sun goes down way too early it comes up way too late it's nice to have all the lights it is it's fun i think a little bit of both i dated a boy who uh who lived in jacksonville illinois Mm -hmm. kind of a small you know it's it's a bigger rural town um and i love the coziness too of like you know the communities and people coming in from their farms and and gathering too that was always fun I have to say, though, yeah, you're, I mean, like our whole skyline lights up. I think they do this in Minneapolis-St. Paul where the the high-rises have, like, the 
the festive lighting, whether it's you know blue and white or green and red. I, yeah, I love all that too. It's just, it's magnificent. Oh, it is nice. Uh, hey, it's uh, one person we'll need to get a Christmas gift for is uh, George Santos. Uh, he's <laughs> he's kind of feeling glum right now. Uh, you pair of Ferragamos, maybe. <laughs> well, when you screwed up so bad, you're in the the same category as Confederates. You know, that's yeah. a, that's you yeah. know, it, they they wanted him gone, and I have to admit, I I there was a part of me that was wondering if they would actually do it, but they got rid of him. He is right. no longer in the U.S. House. Well, I love his exit. He's like, I'm going to get you all. I've got the tea on every. I'm going to spill the tea. I've got domestic violence and fraud. And, you know, so I don't I mean, I don't know if that's what took them longer, you know, and they just had to figure out how to shield themselves with whatever dirt he's going to fling at them. I don't know. Oh, I, I think he is. I think Santos, when he said reality show host or contestant right. or personality uh, i think that that's he realizes he has no other future outside of that so he'll be the train wreck and i, I think he's going to embrace that uh, you know and completely which is great for us because i mean i, I guarantee there's gonna be a lot of dirt on on some republicans that are probably going to come on out but it, it is once again the sign that you and I, we both have talked about is that, you know, it's the inferior quality of your standard Republican politician today. It just, it's amazing how bad these guys are at this point. Oh, it really is. And I don't, I don't, I don't know which legislator it was. A Republican was saying that his family, he and a, a family member were both frauded out of a bunch of money because of that credit card, like every, you know, monthly billing. Yeah. So apparently, if it you know if it happened to somebody else or it didn't you know uh, attack his family, he wouldn't have cared. You know, I think that that was like where was that guy before today making those claims mm-hmm. that he had been <laughs> that he had been mm-hmm. cheated out of money? But yeah, they, it is absolutely astounding to me that uh, here you get you have a guy who actually hasn't been convicted yet. They want to get rid of him because he's such a, a burden to them. And yet the big guy's got, what, 91 indictments, 91 charges against him? Yeah. It's insane. Well, and, it's absolutely and, insane. And you said something there, which is just so spot on. How come you guys just can't do this? How come you guys yeah. you just go out there and say, that guy's trash, he needs to go? Why is it always yeah. after you've retired or you're announced you're not running again, then all of a sudden you find your spine? Yeah. Oh, I, I it's, and it's because it has nothing to do with serving the American people. Yep. We know that every single time a Republican wins the White House and when we, what we hear coming from those chambers, it's never about doing what's right for people, making sure that they're happy, healthy, and safe. It's all about power and protecting their special interests. That's it. Yeah, it is. And, and they, and they, it is, it is such a grift on, on all yeah. levels that, you know, even when they themselves are, are, are ripped off, they don't care. It, I, I've been amazed. I've, I've watched it with the Minnesota Republican Party. I mean, they're still $400,000 in debt. I mean, this is, this is a party. You probably didn't know this. So about eight or nine years ago, the trucks rolled up to the Republican headquarters in Minnesota to evict them. They had to run out, so they had to make a <laughs> yeah. quick call and get someone to scratch out a check, a check to basically keep them in there. You know, that's another element. If we can say the amount of Republicans who talk about fiscal responsibility, but my God, how uh, many of them can't balance their own checkbooks to save their caboose? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, uh, and the, the thing about that too is we see, like, I don't know if you watched. I didn't get a chance to see all of it, but the debate with uh, with DeSantis and uh, and Newsom. Yeah, uh, you know. 
Yeah, the idea, like he's talking about how Florida has a surplus and we have the best economy, and it is coming at such a tremendous cost to the people of Florida, whether it's people with disabilities, uh, people who are, you know, perhaps uh, getting older and need some support. Uh, the it's, government is not supposed to run at a profit. If you have a surplus, it means that you are, not, again, not serving your constituents. You are not helping people. Oh, and and considering the two things, one, how bad just that, you know, and there's a lot of things in Florida we can talk about that are bad. The healthcare system yes. down there is atrocious and you can't get yes. your house insured down there anymore. Yes. You can sit there all day long and talk about how much surplus you got. One hurricane's going to absolutely cripple you. And that's when you come hat in hand to the rest of the country and say, you need to help us. And I'm like, you know, okay, first thing, get rid of DeSantis. Exactly. Well, that's that's what I didn't even know till a few years ago is how much of a donor state uh, places like Illinois and Minnesota and uh, mostly blue states end up having them because Florida doesn't have an income tax because they can't withstand, as you mentioned, a, a big storm. And we have to send federal funding down there. And yet the same Republicans would vote against other states, blue states, you know, whether it's a fire in California or, you know, other st- tornadoes in uh in wisconsin or something they don't want they'll vote no to that it's it's just you know they never have the best interests of people of human beings in general at heart well you remember in kentucky when those horrible tornadoes went down there and ripped apart that state and 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 biden goes down there and he's there and here it is your your community is devastated here he is with the federal government's checkbook saying how much do you guys need and still uh-huh. some idiot can't help themselves start screaming let's go brandon and you just sort of say to yourself how broken and the good thing is there were conservatives that so were so upset and angry at that moment that they finally woke up that finally that kind of shook them awake that oh, maybe this is not the best path but the reality is they've got they've got this brainwashed voter base on on the MAGA side that just they can't help themselves here's a guy to help you and help your community help you everyone you know get back on their feet and you can't help yourself you still have to insult them it is it is really something to to marvel at the the depth of i guess disassociation and i don't know if it's if it's, it's just sheer hatred or uh, having to own the libs uh, really believing that that you know people are coming, whether it's they're coming for your guns, they're coming for your child sexuality, they're coming mm-hmm. for the Bible, all these different things. But you know, the idea that they want to have prayer in school but not feed kids a school lunch—I <laughs> mean, like, make that make sense. None of it. It, 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 it is a, a tremendous amount of delusion, and I don't know. I mean, like some people seem to snap out of it, like you mentioned. Some people are, like see it in real time and go, "Wait a minute." But it's not enough to make no. a difference. It really isn't. Well, a lot of their Bibles don't have the Gospel of Matthew in there, because <laughs> you know, that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> uh, you guys, oh, you just don't want to. Oh, okay, there. Hey, we, what? Are, yeah, Patty Vasquez, once again, joining us at uh, 9 o'clock, starting on Monday, right here in the evenings on AM 950. And, what? And people are going to be listening to you here uh, <sighs> in, in Chicago. We're super excited about that. So congratulations for joining us. I'm I'm very excited. Let's let's put it this way. Yes. This is I feel a WCPT is where you're at down there. That is brethren territory. That is those. This is okay. I this is where I want to be. It's it's these kind of lineups, these kind of radio stations where you know the common sense is coming through. Because I was going to ask you, how about this? What are we going to do with Wisconsin? You're on one side. I'm on the other side. What is going? 
that used to be the worst thing about them used to be the Packers fans, but now <laughs> they they're just this this delusional nutbaggery of of far rightism that you know I don't yeah. care that I I don't care that the Republican policies have not, pretty much wiped out the dairy industry in Wisconsin. I'm still voting yeah. Republican. I I, uh, I I cannot understand. We need to fix Wisconsin. I'm from, and you can come in from the south side. I'll come in from the the west side. Right. I agree. <laughs> Every week we talk to uh, Dan Schaefer. He writes uh, the Recombobulation Area, so he covers everything Wisconsin. I, and I should introduce you. Um, but he, I, I, I try to have him explain it to me every single week. I don't know if you saw that their speaker, uh, DeVos, when they called a special session to to tackle the issue of child care, right, because they, he didn't want to fund it. The Republicans didn't want to fund it. And he went down to Brazil. I'm not kidding you. Mm. When they were supposed to be in special session, he was like, oh, yeah, I've got this conference I have to go to. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, in Brazil. All, in Brazil. <laughs> it's all in the gerrymandering. I mean, because mo- the majority of Wisconsinites support women's right to choose. The majority yep. of Wisconsinites support, you know, fair maps. They support uh, regulations on guns. It is just the way they've gerrymandered it in order to ma- maintain control. That's really the bottom line. Well, and here's and what we've got to break through that. And here's another thing I'll put on this, okay? Because usually with statewide races, the the Democrats win there. You got to call it out where the problem is. The state Democratic Party over there, the last election cycle, did not run two candidates in U.S. House races. Did not even run them, which, you know, just that, 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 that avalanche is right down the ticket. That all of a sudden you make it much more difficult for any, you know, state house or assembly person to, 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 to win in those districts. You got to take it seriously. One of the reasons why Minnesota kicks ass is because we take every race seriously. And even districts where it's, uh, you know, plus 20 red, you're going to get a DFL candidate out there and we're going to run. I know Illinois, you do the same thing down there. Chicago is, is a powerhouse for us. It, it just, you can't just go out there and put a half game, you know, a half complete game plan together and think you're going to get good results. I mean, it, yeah, you're right. Gerrymandering, the Republican, nefar- the nefarious Republican agenda, but it also is there are, you know, unforced errors on the Democratic side in Wisconsin that need to be addressed. Absolutely. It, it is. And we have a friend, um, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with Jess Piper. She's a dirt road dem yep. out of Missouri. Yeah, I know she's Jess. Amazing. Yeah, and she, you know, she talks about making sure you have challengers in every single race. And you're absolutely right, because it elevates what we are fighting for. You know, if people know that they're not alone, first of all, in supporting women's autonomy or supporting, uh, you know, fair labor practices, all these things that... That really, I think the majority of Americans do support. If you're not going to have that conversation, if you're going to let someone just have the seat, then we're not going to move the ball down the field for sure. Well, and I just was bringing this up with the Santos vote. Um, you have three Republicans who voted to keep Santos in office. I would be down in Minnesota 1, Minnesota 7 right now hammering away. Now, Minnesota 7 is Michelle Fishbach. It's the most red district in the state. But if you can pick up one or two of those Minnesota House seats there, that's a huge win. And trust me, even Republicans don't like George Santos. That is that is a that's a stinger that you can go out there and go on the attack with. It just is that's what you need to do. You can't there, there is no friends, there's no off season, there is there is there's you've got to go out there and fight every single day to try to basically yeah. to win this because it just is democracy on the line at this point. Yeah, it, it, well, and that's the hardest thing to get across, right? Because people say we're 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 using you know those words too too freely, like this. It's not fascism. It's not 
dictatorship. And like, do you see what they have planned for 2025? Oh, yeah. Firing people who aren't, you know, pledging allegiance to the new administration that uh, they want to imprison, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of immigrants or deport them. Uh, the things that they have planned, I, I don't know. I guess it seems like too far off or, oh, that, you know, because look, we were patted on the head for decades. Oh, don't worry. Roe v. Wade isn't going anywhere. We saw a committee after committee hearing with, with appointees to the Supreme Court saying, no, it's law of the land. We're not going to change. We're not going to contest it. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Here we are with women die- being charged. In Ohio, a woman is being charged because she had a miscarriage at home. And they're, they're saying it's, it's, a, it's a form of manslaughter. <sighs> that she, you know, um, and this is where we are. Well, and, and the Republicans are so scared of it. I mean, that's last, uh, the last off-year election we just had. In Virginia, they, right. tr- they tried that new moderate abortion tone, and it still did not win. I mean, it is something there. You don't take away people's rights and expect them to take the, the, the light version of it back. You've got to be able to, right. and that's on the table. Tanks rolling down the street. They want to build concentration camps. The, the Trump administration, I, I can get it. Some people are upset about certain things, but you know, if you don't see where we're going with the fascism trend on the right side at this point, everyone votes and everyone votes Democrat because that's the only way you're going to save democracy at this point. Right. It gives. It, look, you fight to you live to fight a, another day by saving democracy and voting for Biden. And I'm so tired of all the debates. I I I love what Biden has accomplished. Yep. He wasn't my candidate in 2020. That was not that was not who I voted who I would have voted for. Uh, but by the time he made it to the primary in Illinois, he was already the the the, the uh, leader in the pack. But you know, I, I'm impressed. He's surpassed. It, it, whether it's because of his experience. Um, whether he's surrounded himself with all the right people, he's making all the right moves, and I'm I am riding this horse. I'm I like I like what Newsom I like what Newsom said yesterday. It's like I don't care if he's 100; I'd take him at 100 than you at <laughs> right now to DeSantis. <laughs> that was a nice line. Uh, you know, he's he, he's delivered that infrastructure bill is a once in a generation sort of thing that we got done. Yeah, and you know, and we always we forget he took over after Trump, and there was zero plan in place to deal with COVID. He took over COVID. In, 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 as it was beating us all down and he was able to basically turn things around on that level, he has been a very good president. He's got my vote easily. This is not a question because I can see what's on the other side of the aisle at this point. Absolutely. And I get that people aren't feeling it. You know, I, I get that the all the improvements, all the investments have not yet had a day-to-day impact when we see that grocery prices are still high. I want to know how much of the price escalation is also due to price gouging? Oh. You know, how much of it is, you know, a lot of these companies saying, oh, well, if they were willing to pay that, then we don't have to, we don't have to bring the prices back down. We'll just leave them there. That's the new baseline. A reminder, this is what I, I'll, I'll say this, and you're going to hear this in Chicago. I say this all the time. It's not inflation if corporate corporate profits are at record levels that's just plain old-fashioned greed there is it's inflation does not exist you cannot have those two things together it's not inflation if if you're having massive corporate profits it is just that's the company's basically robbing us blind because they got so incensed that we got covid money as civilians they want that money back and so they're gouging us Yes, I agree. And, and I, I still, I, I struggle every single day when Chicago is pointed to as being this, you know, I think after you saw a couple of days ago, there was a committee hearing on gun violence. And I can't remember the guy's name from Louisiana asking her Kennedy, about, Kennedy. You, know, what, you know, how come it's a open shooting range in Chicago? 
And like every day, and, and here's the thing, a lot of the street crimes, a lot of the violence is because people have to develop in, in marginalized communities their own kind of economy. And street crimes cost about $16 billion. Uh, you know, some studies will be different, but it's over $400 billion to a trillion dollars in white-collar crimes, whether it's tax evasion or you know, wage, wage theft. I mean, it, it runs the gamut, and it creates the street crime. But people would rather point fingers at people who are poor and disenfranchised than they will at the corporate power and the billionaires. It's insane. I loved how Kennedy got put back on his heels by that witness who basically said, oh, no, the the, the gun crime rate in your own state is much worse than Chicago. And, you know, he just he didn't have anything. He he couldn't get out of that one fast enough. He was he was stumbling to get out of that one. Uh, But it's it's the truth. It's they, they basically create these lies. I get Republicans up here who sit there and vilify the city that they live in. I'm like, you mean my town? Minneapolis-St. Paul is great. Chicago is great. Yeah, there are problems, but it's not. Have you been to some of these other places where you guys say it's wholesome, don't try that, and a small town kind of crap? Right. My dear Lord, no. It's it's We are doing just fine, It's it's they, but they need their punching bag. They really do. And I, I, I think we've talked since I've been to Minneapolis. I was yep. in Minneapolis in... In September, oh my God! You, I, I, yes, I think I told you how jealous I am. I love our state capital. Springfield is beautiful, but man, I really loved your building. I, I, and again, I think Minneapolis, St. Paul, you guys evade those sort of uh, criticisms. I don't know why Chicago. <laughs> you know, they're not pointing fingers at you calling you all kinds of names, are they? Or am I missing it? Oh, they, they do locally, but then I say, but yeah, you guys sure come down for the Vikings game, don't you? You know, they, they come, that's like, <laughs> like right? it's like, you sure, you sure like when Taylor Swift is in town, don't you? All of a sudden you're coming down here. But of course they all come like, I barely survived. It's like, okay, you don't have to come back. We, we're, we're fine without yeah. you. So the next time you're up here, let me know. I, I'm, I'll take you around. We'll go have some fun and get a good, good meal too. Okay. Excellent. I would love to. I would love to. And I'm going to be down in Chicago coming up here uh, probably in April. So I'll, I'll make sure I, I, I keep you in, uh, keep you up to date on that. So once again, Monday night, Patty's show moves to 9 p.m. So you can listen to her at 9 right here on AM 950. And I'm going to be heading down to Chicago, 9 p.m. in Chicago time. You'll hear the 3 o'clock hour of the show down there. So I'm really looking forward to it, Patty. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. I will talk to you very <laughs> soon. Patty Vasquez, of course, once again, are at 9 p.m. starting Monday, 9 p.m. host right here on AM 950. Powerhouse freaking lineup. God, I'm proud to be here. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Patty Vasquez is just fantastic. Just fan freaking tastic. Uh, yeah, it, 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 seriously, I I was a big champion. I wanted to get her on the air on this station because I you know she is she is great. I am just just tickled pink uh, that we're getting her at nine o'clock now, so you can listen to it. Rick at eight, Patty at nine, Ghost Box at ten. Get, get some popcorn. Just sit back, relax. You're gonna have a good time with that. And once again, if you are in the mighty Chicago Metroplex area, hello Gary, Indiana. I'm looking at you. Uh, you can, uh, you can listen to me, uh, at 9 p.m. weeknights down there. So uh, I'm looking forward to that coming up here starting on Monday, 952-946-6205. Patrick giving me the heads up on this. A federal inmate was charged on Friday with attempted murder of the prison stabbing of Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer convicted of murdering George Floyd. Tur- John Terse, Terse Kak, 
Terskak, T-U-R-S-C-A-K, Terskak, stabbed Chauvin 22 times in the law library at the Federal Correction Institute in Tucson, Arizona with an improvised knife, federal prosecutor said. Truskak, uh, 52, told correction officers he would have killed Chauvin if they'd not responded so quickly. Truskak later told the FBI he had been thinking about assaulting Chauvin but not, but uh, for about a month because of he's a high-profile inmate but denied wanting to kill him, prosecutors said. Truskak told the agents that he attacked Chauvin on Black Friday the day after uh, Thanksgiving as a symbolic connection to the Black Lives Matter movement and the black hand uh, symbol associated with the Mexican mafia gang as well. The attorney for Terskak was not listed in court records. He has represented himself on numerous court matters in prison. He remained in custody on Friday. Well, he's not you – know, he's clearly never going to get out at this point. Um, he was uh, – Chauvin was sent to FCI Tucson with a – from a maximum security Minnesota state prison in August – to simultaneously serve a 21-year federal sentence for violating Floyd's civil rights and a 22-year state sentence to second-degree murder. Chauvin's lawyer, Eric Nelson, had advocated for keeping him out of the general population and away from other inmates, anticipating that he'd be the target in Minnesota. Chauvin was mainly kept in solitary confinement, largely in his own protection. Nelson wrote on papers last year. Floyd, uh, who is uh, black, died on, of course, uh, May 25th, 2020. After Chauvin, who was white, pressed his knee on his neck for nine and a half minutes. But once again, stupid idiots. <sighs> looking at you. Yeah, you know who I'm looking at. Stupid idiots like to insist he died of another reason. Yeah, please. Um, this uh, – and once again, I – this is this is not what he was – he was not sentenced to be violently stabbed 22 times. He was sentenced to serve his prison time. I, you know, I, I do not applaud this. I do not cheer this. I'm, I'm not sending him a get well card, mind you. I'm not sending him a get well card. But they, I, this is not right. And I got to – I've heard actually more about this prison in Tucson, Arizona. How the hell are we having anyone there considering the amount of problems we have? It almost – I mean I'm going to take a guess that the corrections officers themselves basically made sure that this attack could happen. I mean it almost – it sounds like it. I, I don't it, – it sounds like it is kind of at the Wild West at this prison. And so, um, yeah, someone has to someone has to explain to me why we are not cracking down on this one fairly quickly. But like I said, I, I don't celebrate what happened to the guy but at the same time, I'm not exactly sending him a Christmas card. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Let me also say this. God bless the jury that convicted that jackass because he murdered George Floyd. And he is being – he should be held accountable for his crime and serve his time, although I did think it should have been longer. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205, So uh, I want to stop once again and, and go back to the, the polling yesterday because I had a lot of people comment about the, the, the observation I made that if you've got, what was it, 60% of the people of the state of Minnesota want an equal rights amendment uh, for all people, including gender identity, uh, the LGBTQ community, all you know, race, religion, everything. 
if 60% are in favor of that and 54% are in favor of an abortion amendment to the state constitution, if that's what you have got, then what you you, you basically um, – for for Trump to be doing as well as he is against Biden in the state, you are saying that there are people who are for the Equal Rights Amendment who are going to indeed vote for Trump, the guy who basically is part of this group that wants to round up all the LGBTQ people, all the transgender people, all any, any Muslim or, or a person of Arab heritage. They all want, they want to round all those people up, any liberal uh, I don't think that that's true. I also don't think that the guy who basically is responsible for stacking the Supreme Court with far-right hack judges that basically ruled uh, to overturn Roe v. Wade, that the people who are for an abortion amendment would be in turn for Donald Trump. I don't think those two things add up. So I, I've, I, once again, I'm going to go back to the methodology. I don't think that there is an agenda here at MinPost when they posted this. I do not think there's an agenda, but I do think that their methodology is flawed because that those two things should not happen. That, that's just, that doesn't make any sense. They did come on out with their latest poll today. It's basically who knows the House members. The thing which is funny is this is a Minnesota poll, and it's shocking Shocking how few people know some of the House members. Shocking. In Minnesota, the poll shows that Minnesota senators have good name recognition among the eight members representing the Minnesota House uh, from Minnesota. uh, Representative Ilhan Omar was the most recognizable with only 7% of the respondents saying they have never heard of the congresswoman. Representative Opie, um, uh, you know, vestigious tale. Uh, what, What is it? Finstad. Finstad. That's who it is. Finstad. Powder. Finstad, I mean. Uh, the Republican from the 1st District who represents southern Minnesota and is the newest member of the state's congressional delegation was the least owned lawmaker. 51% of the polls respondents said they had never heard of Opie, uh, who was the first elected to the U.S. House in a special election in August of last year to serve out the remainder of Jim Hagdorn's term. So over half the state has no idea who one of their sitting House members is. Uh, 23% of the voters surveyed said they'd never heard of Angie Craig. 31% said they never heard of Dean Phillips. Um, meanwhile, 25% of respondents said they never heard of Tom Emmer. Of, um, of uh, you know, the 6th District uh, Congressman. And the majority whip, uh, you know, he's, he's a member of House leadership. He actually ranks below Ilhan Omar and Angie Craig as name recognition. That's amazing. That's amazing. Here is a leader in the Republican leadership, and more people in the state of Minnesota have no idea who Tom Emmer is, but know who Ilhan Omar is and know who Angie Craig is. 25% of the respondents said they, uh, they, they'd they never heard of Tom Emmer. 31% said they never heard of Michelle Fishbach, which is the same number as Dean Phillips. And 41% they they never heard of Pete Stauber. Um, so, um, um, Betty McCollum was, uh, 37%. So basically, um, looking just at the never heard of them, this is a poll of Minnesotans, mind you, 
By far, Ilhan Omar is the most recognizable U.S. House member in the state of Minnesota. I think part of that, too, though, is, let's face it, it's Republicans who are running against her in, you know, they, they, they basically, they, she's the villain of their tale. And so they, they mention her as, you've got to send me to the Capitol, to the U.S. Capitol, because, you know, Ilhan Omar's there, that sort of thing. So it goes Omar, then it goes Angie Craig, goes Emmer, Phillips and Fishbach are tied, basically. McCollum, Stauber, and Finstead. 51% of the people of the state of Minnesota have no idea who Brad Finstead is. And basically, since he can't stop sucking on Tom Emmer's teat, I don't, I don't think they're going to know who he is too much. Like I said, DFL, I would be down in his district tomorrow running a – he voted to keep George Santos in the U.S. House. I would be, I would be getting on – I'd get on radio stations. I'd be doing everything. Heck, I'd do that against Michelle Fishbach too because like I said, you might not be able to knock out Fishbach in the seven, but – you can at least make some of those house races a lot more interesting. I'd go after her too. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you've. I think Stauber. Here's one thing I'll give Stubby. He, I think he does understand he's got some public image issues. That as a Republican, he is the anti-abortion, anti-LGBTQ. He's in a district which is not nearly as slam-dunk Republican as people think it is. Sure, there are some deranged nutbags up in, like, Mountain Iron, but, you know, you still have Duluth in there and you still got part of the North Metro in there. That, you know, that's, that's, that's a pretty big chunk. And you got the Union guys up on the range. And you've got Native Americans. So that's not nearly – that's not nearly the safe Republican seat – I think he understands that, and I think that the fact that 41% of the state has no idea who the dude is, which has got to be even people in his own district, that is, that's why he's out there voting to get rid of George Santos, is he's got to try to make him seem like he's, he's something else. Um, the favorable – here's another thing which is interesting. Now, I'm just going to look at the favorable rankings because I can tell you right now, Ilhan Omar, because she is the villain of all the Republican tales – is got the a large un, very unfavorable you know image for most you know in again with in regards to most Minnesotans she's got the highest percentage when it's somewhat unfavorable and very unfavorable combined it's 55% but i can guarantee you when you look at the people that are very favorable somewhat favorable which is combined is 25% of the state most of those people are in the Minnesota 5th district so that's that's the saving grace she has there she has not got the most favorability rating, though. Or is it? It's Well, no, it's, it's – yeah, no, she's tied. As far as favorable view of your congresspeople, Ilhan Omar's got 25 percent uh, of the state either views her very favorably or somewhat favorably. 25 percent looks at Angie Craig as favorable or somewhat favorable. You have 19% of the state looks at Betty McCollum as favorable, somewhat favorable. The next one on the list is Emmer. He's at 19% too. 
Then comes Dean Phillips at 20 uh, – excuse me, he's at 17 percent of the state, thinks that he's very favorable, somewhat favorable. But then you get to the rest of the Republicans who it – I can't tell. They don't have the numbers listed here um, because they're so small. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have the numbers listed here. Uh, I guess I have to do this retro and reverse. Uh, 41 plus 11 is what, 52? It's, it's 60. So 86. So yeah, he's uh, – Stauber's only got – oh, God, what would be um, 15% or 14%. 14% of the state views him favorably. Finstead, 51, 60, 65, 80 – He's on, he's got what he's at sixty five, seventy five. He's got nine. Only nine percent of the the state population views Brad Finstead in a positive way. Nine percent. This is you know. Once again, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to stand consistent. I think the methodology of the polling from specifically from Monday it was questionable because once again, if you're you're doing it as a basically a you know. The majority of the people you're getting are off of Facebook and off of uh, of an Instagram, and they have to click through to a Survey Monkey survey. You basically got the Blockbuster Movie Awards. I mean, that's how that they did that. So I don't know if necessarily we can, you know, how legitimate the methodology is here. But I will say this: it, it's if it goes anywhere, I don't think it's going to go up on any of these guys. And so I, I think. Yeah. DFL, you've got some opportunity here. No one knows who half these – with the three of the, D, the the Republican House members have very low approval ratings, positive approval ratings, and most people don't know them. That tells you there's vulnerability. That tells you there's weakness. So it would be something that I, I, I would be trying to exploit, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. I wanted to completely change directions though right now because I wanted to get into the story – because North Dakota is having a fit. North Dakota State University announced Wednesday that it's extending a new scholarship brought about due to the neighboring Minnesota's program to cover tuition for income-eligible residents beginning next year. North Dakota higher education leaders are worried about losing Minnesota students. Earlier this month, North Dakota State announced its new tuition award program, which is similar to Minnesota's North Star Promise program. Both programs began in fall of 2024. The university has extended the scholarship to a second year. The North Star Promise program will cover undergraduate tuition and fees at the state's public post-secondary schools and tribal colleges for Minnesota residents whose family income is under $80,000. It's, it's an excellent program. This is, this is some good stuff here. After they have used other sources of financial aid, such as grants and scholarships, North Dakota's new scholarship is for Minnesota and North Dakota first-year students who are eligible for the federal Pell Grants and whose family income is $80,000 or less. Returning second-year students will be considered for one year of the scholarship in the 2024-2025 school year. The scholarship will cover eligible students' tuition and fees after other aid is used. The North Dakota State University Foundation is covering the cost of the new scholarship estimated to be $3.5 million for the first year. North Dakota State President, uh, University President David Cook has spoken of catastrophic implications due to the North Star promise. The university is the top out-of-state choice for first-year Minnesota students who make up nearly half the school's student body. 
About 15,000 to 20,000 Minnesotans could use North Star Promise in its first year, according to the Minnesota Office of Higher Education. About 1,400 Minnesota students at five schools in eastern North Dakota might be eligible for the Minnesota program, uh, according to the North Dakota University system. So this is – first of all, can I just say to North Dakota, I don't care. I don't care. You don't like the fact that we are looking after our kids. And I'm glad you guys – Read the writing on the wall that basically if you want to compete, then you basically have to offer the same thing. That's not a bad thing. Although I get the what's – the, what's the term that he used here? Catastrophic implications. That doesn't sound like that, that's a good thing. It sounds like you're, you're very upset and livid with the fine folks in the state of Minnesota who have basically said, well, you know what? We should cover the cost of education for – higher education for poor people. And so now all of a sudden you're you're upset. I, I could care less. We're although there is an undeniable benefit to the enrollment potential for the University of Minnesota schools that this applies for. It's not about hurting you. It's about helping Minnesota kids. You sitting there and being frustrated and angry that this happened. Boo freaking who. I could care less because right now is the only reason you're trying to offer this is because not because of benevolence, but because you're terrified that most Minnesota kids will realize I don't have to go to North Dakota State. (laughs) That's kind of cold. Yeah, but you know what? You call our program catastrophic. You're going to get what you get. I can say this. I've had uh, kids uh, go on tours up there and it wasn't really an option for them. They didn't want to do that. Not saying it's not a good university. I think they've got certain programs. I think it's like all universities. Certain programs are exceptional. Uh, that that they really have some good things that that go there. So I, 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 is it there that the geology program, Patrick? Do you know if it's North Dakota State? Is it the geology program over there that's that's supposedly really good? Do you know off the top of your head? I could not tell you. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the schools over there. Um, I, I, all I'm going to say is I'm I can't be tell you how proud I am. This is fixing part of the problem. Whereas state after state after state has got Republicans gutting higher education, gutting education as a whole. We are making a massive investment into the education of Minnesota kids and are going to make a lot of people's lives better. This is a long-term investment, not only because will someone who has a college degree make more money, henceforth pay more in taxes, henceforth help out the public, but as well, they're going to have a higher quality of life. And they're going to spend some of their money, which will help other businesses. We don't – I talked about this with transportation. If we were smart at all, we'd still build as many roads as we can with concrete because concrete lasts, and it lasts a long freaking time. But it's expensive to do the initial paving with concrete. So what we do is for the short-term fix, we go with asphalt, which basically – it, it costs a lot less, but you have to replace it constantly. So it ends up costing us more in the long run to do asphalt than it would do to concrete. Because we don't have politicians who look at the long-term consequences of an action anymore to determine what's the best course of action. This, this little program is us looking for the long-term solution to where people are going to be happy, active, contributing members of our society 
for decades. It's good. And I guarantee you there are Republicans in every other state saying, how in the heck do we defeat this? Because reminder, the Minnesota, the original Minnesota miracle, Republicans under Pawlenty got rid of it. The Democrats, DFL, have fixed a lot of it. But a lot more needs to be done. With all my best, you know, I'm glad you're offering the same program, North Dakota, but don't act like you're basically this is having you're 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 a petulant little five year old having to take some medicine. Maybe you should act like, hey, maybe we should do the same thing too. But I highly doubt in your Republican state you guys look at that as say look at look at the long term in any capacity. Nine five two nine four six six two oh five nine five two nine four six six two oh five. We'll take a break, come on back, wrap up the show when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil show right here on AM nine fifty. AM nine fifty, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil show. Have you, have you gotten your uh, tree yet? You got that all set up yet? Uh, not even really thought about it yet, but uh, hopefully soon. We were going to do an artificial tree this year, but then we could figure out we couldn't figure out how big our yew tree is usually. So we actually go. We're actually this year we're actually going to go buy a live tree just so we can measure it out and if, determine if we want to do an artificial tree next year. Okay, so that's, makes sense. Well, it's sometimes we're like, how big is it? Is it seven feet across? I mean, it, then all of a sudden we realize, no, that's like the White House tree. You know, that's that's. That's, that's a bit a little bit larger, so we got to figure out what the size is actually going to be on that. So, uh, a lot of people going to be out doing stuff like that this weekend. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Sounds like it's going to be a decent weather weekend for the most part. Heading south might be a little bit of an issue. It could be some snow showers on Saturday, so keep that in mind. Reminder: uh, Patty Vasquez goes to nine p.m. on Monday, and if you are in the Chicago Metroplex, I will be on the air nine p.m starting on Monday as well, down at WCPT. We're looking forward to that. We have not done this. Rolling Stones, Jumpin' Jack Flash, we have not done this one. Friday Music taking us out today. Native Roots Radio, I'm awake. That's coming up next. We are back on a Monday. Have a good weekend. Until then, see ya.